0: United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. The military situation varies from hour to hour, and we won't comment on that today, but we'd like to know what the long-range implications will be for the United States, for NATO, our allies in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, for uh, the uh, nation of Ukraine itself, and all of uh, Eastern, uh, Central, and uh, Western Europe. We're fortunate today to have as our guest uh, one who knows this situation from experience. He is a foreign service professional and was former ambassador to the country of uh, Estonia, which in fact is very much involved in this situation and I'm sure is on pins and needles today since it too abuts the great um, nation, the large nation of Russia. He is Mr. Lawrence Taylor and he is uh, ready to talk to us about uh, the implications of uh, the Ukraine conflict. I'm Jerry Christensen, recently out of retirement Just to do this, because um, I'm always anxious to hear what Ambassador Taylor has to say. What are, in the broadest terms, Ambassador, what are the implications of this, this conflict as, as you see it?
1: Well, just as your question uh, assumed, uh, Jerry, the implications of this conflict are enormous. So I think it's not too much to say at this point. Potentially, it could be a pivot point in history. The world is not going to be able to go back when i say the world ukraine nato the united states the russian federation and the rest will not be able to go back to where we were just three weeks ago so change is coming and it could be enormous change the Nathan, idea of excuse how me. To, yes go please
0: ahead. i was going to just say sketch out one or two of these implications as a pivot point in history
1: Right. So, um, let me, Well, let's start with both at this point, the NATO, the NATO Alliance and the Russian Federation have gone far enough in just three weeks uh, that it's very difficult to see how, at this point, how this is going to end in a happy way for anyone. Neither side, uh, and, and I, now I have to say more sides, because Ukraine, none of the three, Ukraine, NATO, or the Russian Federation at this point, would want to stop the music. All are in an unsatisfactory position. And if you look at the position we're in today, There's three elements. I mean, there's a lot going on, but three elements that stand out. The first is we have a massive and growing humanitarian disaster on the ground. Ukraine citizens, families, innocents, women and children, two million and counting uh, refugees already. We also have a shooting war that's intensifying on the ground in Ukraine, and we have as the third element, the risks of escalation in this conflict beyond Ukraine, involving directly NATO and the Russian Federation. And the, in looking at the future, which is where you started on this question, what's so what's so hard to figure out is right now all three of those elements are moving on a kind of autopilot to the future, but that autopilot is signaling getting worse, worse, and faster. And if we can't find a way to press the pause button on that autopilot, the future is not only very uncertain, but at this point very, very dangerous. Because that third factor of escalation can lead to a bigger war and an even bigger war and as we've seen recently, even talk of nuclear conflict—yeah,
0: comparisons to uh, to the Second World War, even to Vietnam or Afghanistan—are really moot, aren't they? In the sense that, uh, if if the moment we get tough with uh, the Russian Federation, the weapons available to that side are have been are, have, are so completely different since Hiroshima. Uh, we're not uh, we're, we're not in the same game anymore the the, the odds are just uh, of, of, of of annihilation and, and vast destruction and loss of human life is enormous and un- almost unthinkable
1: it certainly is uh there's no comparison with these other kind of important but uh, smaller wars uh, vietnam or iraq or Af- afghanistan i think in, in in terms of what's going on here in ukraine and its potential for escalation um but i go back to the importance of doing everything we can to slow down or pause I got it. the worsening yeah. conditions in all three of those elements and especially in escalation because the threat of escalation comes from both sides not just the russian federation Um, It's almost impossible to imagine if this humanitarian crisis increases and worsens, and the ground war intensifies, and the Russians are shelling and destroying more cities and more towns. And the big difference between World War II or any of these other wars is all of us, every one of us, can watch it on our screens 24-7. Yeah. We're not reading about it after it happens. We're watching it while it happens. And if the Russians are shelling these towns and we see this humanitarian crisis growing and growing, the pressure from Western public opinion to do something to stop it will be enormous.
0: Mm. Yeah. Suggestions for pausing diplomacy. uh, Pressure continuing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Diplomacy is the only way to pause it. Mm -hmm. It's the only, and that's not a. That's not. I'm not talking about a solution. No. We're way away from a solution. I'm talking about a pause somehow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in these three elements that are worsening and driving us toward escalation. And I keep hoping, uh, I keep hoping, Jerry, that uh, one of these days, or even one of these hours, we're going to see that these periodic meetings between the Ukrainians and the Russians will produce some hope for that pause. So far, we haven't seen that.
0: What What are the limiting factors to that uh, that pause? When the Russians meet the—well, I'll suggest the one I'm thinking of. We're not dealing with the ordinary uh, 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 adversary here in Vladimir Putin. There are questions about his stability. But in any case, uh, when pushed into a corner, uh, how, how likely is it that he'll want to back off? Or will there have to be some kind of stalemate? Will there have to be considerable give and take in such a pause?
1: Well, I'd give almost anything to get a pause, but not to get the end game. The end. The end game. Uh, Vladimir Putin is not going to uh, back down unless uh, he has no choice, because he regards uh, Ukraine as an existential threat uh, to Russia. Mm-hmm. But at this point, having made the miscalculation and mistakes that he has made by launching this uh, this war he might well regard it as an existential threat to himself as well. So backing down is close to uh, national or leadership suicide for yeah. him, in, yeah. in, in my opinion. So I don't think we can expect uh, yeah. we can expect that.
0: But something in—excuse in me, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, how we get this pause, I think— Okay. is going to, if we can get it at all, is going to depend on how cleverly the Ukrainians can negotiate with the Russians for that.
0: Mm. Are you confident?
1: Uh, no, I'm not <laughs> confident. I'm not confident at all because they've had plenty of chances yeah. to sense. Uh, I mean, Putin must know and Russia must know it's made a disastrous uh, mistake here. Mm-hmm. And the Ukrainians are the victims of the mistake, so they know the consequences of the mistake. But there, there just doesn't seem at this point uh, to be enough give on the Russian side uh, to get that pause. I think they want to be in a stronger position before they, before they pause. They want to cause more damage. They want the Ukrainians and NATO to want the pause more than they want it. I got it. Yeah, I understand.
0: I, I, may I go back for a minute now to uh, one of the three points you have made, and that is the uh, relationship of the the nations. Let's let's start with NATO. Um, you think there you think there may be some changes in in, that, in their approach. Uh, one of, uh, Putin's complaint is that he feels he feels uncomfortable about NATO being so close. Um, and that Ukraine is was probably going to be invited in, but in any case, will what do you think will this what will this do with our with, with NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization?
1: Well, of the many paradoxes, Jerry, that, uh, that Vladimir Putin has set in motion with this miscalculation is he is going to produce the very NATO that he feared. Um, NATO's reaction as we can see already is to become stronger, more unified um, and take uh, swift and deliberate actions. The idea, Just uh, a few weeks ago, one of uh, Russia's conditions for settlement, uh, most of which are simply off the table, was that NATO pull back to its 1997 borders. As a result of this conflict, and I don't know how it's going to end. But I'm relatively certain if there's, if there's more than a nuclear rubble left at the end, the NATO eastern frontier will be strengthened and reinforced. It won't be weakened. It won't be rolled back. It will be stronger than ever.
0: For the first time, seriously, well, there, there have been other threats, and, and uh, we've seen movement of tanks and troops and so on on, on, on our front, on the NATO front. But this is the first really m- major test in, uh, since NATO was formed in, what, around 1948 or so? First, uh, This is a yeah, big for- test in one way or another, big test.
1: Well, it is a big test. The paradox there is, it is that uh, it comes as a result of an invasion of a non-NATO yep. member, yeah. right? Yep. But it is a giant test for NATO, and NATO has stepped up to the plate. But that is, so that, I mean, that is a dilemma because the, at this point, we talked about what does it take to get a pause, even thinking, try to think of the future, what might it take to get a settlement. At this point, both Russia and NATO have their credibility on the line in terms of performance. Um, this, the moment doesn't look ripe for one of them to signal weakness.
0: Speaking of weakness, somewhere along the line in this conversation, I think you expected I was going to ask about your own experience in a country that is similar in the sense, uh, not in the sense that they are members of NATO, but if you look at political geography, as you had me do some years ago, by the way, I looked at a map, and Estonia, where you served as ambassador, is is in a sense hanging out there. It's at the very end of the line, uh, I suppose you could say on the northern flank of NATO, can you imagine, or, or I can imagine, uh, that uh, such small nations, the Baltic nations, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, uh, some of the rest are, are rather nervous about this. You know, if, if, um, if, if Ukraine falls, where, where might he go to pick off another nation? Is that overstating the, um, the dilemma?
1: Not at all, I think this is very this is another one of these uh, big issues it's very much in play, depending on how the the situation evolves so um, but there's a number of paradoxes there too. this uh, aggressive posture by Russia and by Putin and the invasion of Ukraine is the kind of thing that many of the leaders in Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania have been warning against for well almost 25 years saying that sooner or later russia will be strong again sooner or later we'll have leadership that wants to retake some of these uh territories that slipped away when the when the soviet union fell and that we had to be vigilant and strong to deter and prevent that so in in a way this future is unfolding in a way that some of those countries feared all along um This is more than just being happy that intellectually they might or might not have been right about that. But uh, what they're pleased about is what we talked about in the previous question. NATO's eastern flank is going to be stronger, and they are the eastern flank. They will be more protected, more in NATO, more comfortable uh, against what they've always considered a possible, even probable, Russian threat than they were before.
0: The, the fact that, uh, is, if I recall correctly, uh, President Obama made one of his early uh, foreign policy trips to little, not so little, but very important Estonia, Estonia, one of the first ones, reminds me that our commitment, uh, the American commitment to NATO, continues to be very strong. Um, and the idea is that we are not like if, if, it is, if it ever has come and gone or waned and waxed, it is certainly going to be come out now, uh, if I follow you correctly, it's going to come out stronger now than ever.
1: Yes, and that's, what, and that's certainly what's happening, and I think it will continue. And it's going to continue beyond the end of the, of the war in Ukraine. I mean, the yeah. war in Ukraine has sent a signal that NATO must be strong, not just now, but in the future as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, abs- abs- absolutely, At the, again, uh, assuming that we don't end up in a pile of nuclear rubble through mm-hmm. a misguided escalation, unintended escalation even. Uh, NATO should end up stronger, and its eastern flank should end up much stronger. This is the, this is the almost crazy thing from uh, President Putin's perspective. He has caused exactly yes. what he feared.
0: <laughs> yeah, on, on your third point, the human crisis now we uh, 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 daily reports television uh, all tell us about the human tragedy. I want to ask the the, the political implications as the pressure of uh, immigrants in Poland and Romania, Hungary. And elsewhere uh, continues. Will and you've got populations there in those countries that could uh, could respond in a negative way. You know about the stranger. Don't we all know about that? Is there some is there some fear that if that continues and the number of people uh, emigrate that are expected now, these these countries might experience a kind of right wing reaction. So a, more necessary that we have a pause so, so that doesn't happen.
1: Jerry, I, I'm not, I'm not sure about that, uh, and uh, I mean, it, there's a logic to it that the, the numbers could o- eventually overwhelm not yes. just infrastructure, uh, but, but goodwill and, and and political tolerance and so forth. But we don't seem to be anywhere near that. We don't see any evidence okay. of that. In fact, the opposite. Countries like Poland uh, uh, and and the others have been extraordinarily generous and strong in in helping this immigrant flow and i would expect that to continue what i do, what i what i don't want to continue though is the immigrant flow yeah. because yeah. Uh, it's not just for fear of overwhelming the recipient countries it's it's just a human tragedy and when I, when i say you know at the very beginning i say the world's not going to go back to where it was 3 weeks ago a lot of these people can't go back to where they were 3 weeks ago no matter how this ends they'll permanently be outside of their homes, their support systems, uh, everything they grew up with. So uh, I think here the tragedy is what's happening to the Ukrainians, and at this point the European nations that are taking them in are part of the solution.
0: Some time ago uh, we talked about the, the the, 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 the role of Andrea Merkel Uh, the Chancellor of Germany. Uh, Do you mind if I bring that up again? She is uh, uh, East German born, that is under communist East Germany as I recall, and she speaks Russian. And I noticed that she's already made one, one, before the war started, she made one trip to Russia. Are there other key people, is she a key factor in this uh, possibility of a pause or other leaders in Western and Central Europe?
1: You know, I, I, I wish she could be, but I doubt that I doubt that she is. Uh, she was uh, a tremendous force while she was uh, Chancellor of Germany, but I think time has moved on in terms of yeah. her ability to influence these events, unfortunately uh and maybe it will just come out of a of a country or a personality that uh right now is in the shadows and mm-hmm. we don't think of as a key player but the one european leader who's tried to position himself for that role um is president macron in in france um so i don't he may have overpositioned himself yes. in a sense in okay. in the sense it's too obvious um but I think you're right to start looking uh, for somebody who might step in and play a useful role as as mediator mm-hmm. mediator in in this. But uh, you know those things don't work ah. until the parties want the uh, want the solution.
0: Mm. Well, it's nice to know that even though I'm a little bit out of date on my analysis, the idea of a a, a leader positioning him or herself. To, uh, to, to serve as a mediator still remains. Finally, Ambassador, uh, we're, we want to uh, emphasize uh, the the, uh, possib- the possible ingredients in a pause. You started to say earlier, we don't really know, but could you make some educated guesses about what might be in there? Both sides are going to have to get something or at least save face on the side of the Russian Federation?
1: Well, I think to to get a pause, we've we've, which would be a very preliminary step to a real negotiations for a real solution. I'm just trying to cut down on the damage that's occurring every day, and with it, the risk of more damage because of escalation. Um, I think what we what we've got to get is is a, a willingness to say, for we're going to talk about things for three or four days or a week and see what we can make of it with no uh, no commitments going in, no promises going in, just a, uh, a recognition that uh, continuing this, uh, this lose-lose, uh, worse-worse uh, day after today isn't in anybody's interest. The problem is it might be in someone's interest to do that. It might be in the Russians' interest to make things worse before they're willing to talk. First thing, get around the table. Yeah, the first thing is press the pause button for any reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't want to see 3 million refugees and 4 million refugees and more cities being shelled and, and pressures on both sides to to escalate in order to get an advantage. It, it's just crazy.
0: This is a, speaking of crazy, This is a crazy idea to end on. I, I, I said we'd end on the other. But is there enough pressure on the Russian Federation? There certainly are economic uh, restrictions. They're not feeling the hurt, however, of bomb cities and uh, friends and family being killed and driven out of their homes. But will that pressure? Do we know yet if that pressure will have some effect?
1: Well, I'm sure that the the sanctions, that the uh, NATO and more, the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, the world has uh, yes. there's just a couple things here that are worth mentioning, Jerry. Uh, the Russians lost the public affairs war almost on day two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are literally a pariah state all the, way, all the way around the world now. They have lost the information war. Everything is rightly about uh, the mistakes and foolishness of the Russians and the hero- heroism of the Ukrainians. Um, so... In many respects, Putin's already lost this war, but he hasn't lost it on the ground. And there he still has massive resource advantage and the ability to put it to use to try to grind down the Ukrainian resistance. So I'm just, you know, he's made so many mistakes. He miscalculated what Ukraine was like and whether the Ukrainians would fight. What a mistake. He miscalculated the competence and effectiveness of his own military. What a mistake. And he completely miscalculated the strength and swift resolve of NATO to counter him. And that's been mainly, not exclusively, with the sanctions. And these sanctions are unprecedented. They are going to squeeze and strangle the Russian Federation if the West keeps to them. But sanctions take time. And this worsening situation is happening minute by minute.
0: Our guest today, Ambassador Lawrence Taylor, former ambassador to the great nation of Estonia. We're talking about Ukraine, a pivot point in history, and the desperate need for a pause. I'm Jerry Christensen for The Seminary Explorers. Thank you for listening and have a very good day. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.